Hello, 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 Miami Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker, and with me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Well, Brain, we made it through. We made it through the virtual 2020 NFL Draft. We made it through a dog sitting in Bill Belichick's seat. We made it through somebody sitting on the toilet at Mike Vrabel's house. We made it through Bill O'Brien having a breakdown on TV. We made it through Adam Gase existing some somehow completely... Um, completely just oblivious to the fact that his kids were around him. He seems to have just as cold of a relationship with his family as he does with everybody else. Uh, no offense to Adam Gase, of course, meant by that, but maybe, maybe some offense, maybe some offense. Needless to say, the 2020 draft is in the books, and I think it was, uh, I think, a very interesting time and really, we are truly seeing the Miami Dolphins move into a new era. The Greer Flores era is now well and truly on its way. And in this show today, we are going to talk about everything that the Dolphins did on that first day of the draft. We'll sort of go through day by day, pick by pick. The brain will give his evaluation of each player. And then at the end, we'll sort of give an overview and overall grade for the Miami Dolphins on this draft. And then we'll take some uh, listener questions and wrap it up for this uh, new episode of the same old Dolphin show. But before we do that, want to get in some plugs because it's very important. Want to make sure that you are following both of us on Twitter. I am at Amplified to Rock. The brain is at Aaron the Brain, and the show is at Same Old Dolphins. Uh, we've we've picked up quite a few new followers uh, over the the course of the draft and the build up to the draft. So we're excited to have everybody on board. And of course, we are part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. So every episode of the Same Old Dolphins show is available on DolphinsTalk.com. You can also find us in the DolphinsTalk.com daily podcast feed. So the same feed that you are subscribed to to receive all of Mike and Tom's uh, daily podcasts, you will now also be able to receive the Same Old Dolphins podcast in that feed. However, if you like, if you're one of those people who's a little fussy, you like to keep things separate, you can subscribe directly to the same old dolphin show on apple podcasts you can follow us on spreaker spotify soundcloud anywhere that you find your podcasts you can find us there so we hope that you will follow us as well don't forget leave us a five-star rating leave us a positive review it is super helpful in spreading the word about the same old dolphin show and we're excited we're gonna putting together some plans for the upcoming season assuming that it happens or you know and however it does happen we're gonna be here with you so uh, we uh, hope Hope that you will be following along with us and, and joining us and following us and helping to spread the word as we proceed through this 2020 season. And I've remembered something that I failed to plug at the end of the last podcast because it's been a little while since we did one together. Facebook.com slash same old dolphins. We have a Facebook page as well. And if you follow us on Facebook, you saw that we shared the video that WPLG Channel 10 in South Florida put together showing uh, some Dolphins fans going quote-unquote bonkers reacting to the Dolphins first pick of Tua Tagovailoa, and uh, of course that was featuring yours truly 
As I uh, reacted to that pick, you you heard it. If you listened to the last episode of the show, you certainly got an earful when you heard us react to it. But uh, if you haven't seen the video yet, head on over to our Facebook page and you can follow the link to uh, WPLG's website where they've got the video and you can see that reaction in all its glory. I think I may have tweeted it out at some point as well, but... Anyway, all of that, all that stuff out of the way. Let's dive in to this draft for your Miami Dolphins. By now, I'm sure you are well aware of what happened on the first day of the draft. The Miami Dolphins stayed pat in their positions. There was a lot of talk, a lot of smoke screens, a lot of conversations. Will the Dolphins move up? Will they trade down? What are they going to do? Are they going to draft an offensive tackle with their first pick? What are they going to do? They ended up staying pat. Staying at number five, and Tua Tungavailoa fell to them. They drafted him at five. The Miami Dolphins have their quarterback. Later in the first round, the Dolphins picked up Austin Jackson from USC. He's a he's a a, a left tackle, and uh, he's going to bolster the offensive line for the Miami Dolphins. And then they closed out their first day of action with the thirtieth pick in the draft, picking up Noah Igbenogany, a cornerback from Auburn to help supplement that defensive backfield for the Miami Dolphins that is beginning to look pretty good, in all honesty. Now, Brain, I know that your opinions on some of these picks have sort of evolved since we did the show on Thursday, so talk to the people a little bit about how you felt that first day went. Right, well, obviously, couldn't be more excited about getting Tua at five, the fact that we didn't have to to trade up to get him. But we've spoken on that ad nauseum. Uh, the Austin Jackson pick uh, at the time uh, looked to be a major reach. He was a guy that um, I, I think the, the reason that he was considered a major reach at the time was because there was a consensus top four offensive lineman in uh, Becton, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, and Jedrick Wills. And then most experts, uh, these draft gurus, the, the people that put these grades together, most draft experts seem to have a pretty clear consensus as to who the next guy was, and that was Josh Jones out of Houston. So I was sitting there, I think everybody kind of knew at that pick that the Dolphins needed to draft an offensive lineman. I would have liked I think at that time for the Dolphins to have traded up to try to be a little bit more aggressive and go after a guy like Tristan Wirfs, uh, who was there at 13 when San Francisco was picking and San Francisco was obviously shopping the pick, but Tampa Bay was at 14. It cost them a lot less to move up one spot to get Wirfs. So that didn't happen. So I felt like, look, the Dolphins were going to have to go tackle here because it was such a pressing need. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, this is a need that they can address uh, later on in the draft. I mean, yes, technically, could they have? Yes. But it was their biggest need going in. Some would argue an even bigger need than the quarterback position. But obviously the quarterback position trumps everything. So you get to a, and now you get to 18 and it's like, look, even if we have to reach a little bit, we're going to take a tackle. And it was just surprising that they took Jackson and not Jones. Now, 
I thought it was a little bit of a reach. He's an upside guy. He's kind of projected to be a little bit of a project. But on upside alone, compared to the other tackles, he has the most upside. And in addition to that, the 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 these people that put these rankings together, look, when when you're at the top tier at every position, most of these guys will grade their grades vary very very little. But once you get past the top tier, they are wildly different. They vary wildly. And just and and Jackson is an example of that because I saw some pages that had Jackson ranked as a potential first round pick and I saw other people that said he's a third round pick. And so if you lean more towards he's a third round pick, then obviously you're going to say, well, that's a major reach. But if you're saying, well, he's a late first round or early second round pick, then it's really not that much of a reach. And then when you consider that Josh Jones, considered by many to be the consensus fifth tackle off the board, lasted all the way until round three and several tackles several other tackles went before him, then all of a sudden it really doesn't appear to be that much of a reach. I think they reached a little bit, but he was clearly, look, they were going after a tackle and he was the top guy on their board. If all of these experts are varying wildly on their grades, then who's to say there's not another team out there that was picking, you know, a few picks after Miami that could have said the same thing about Austin Jackson that said, hey, if he drops to us, he's the top tackle on our board. The Dolphins targeted a guy at the position that they needed, and they grabbed him. Um, overall, again, I was a little underwhelmed with the pick, um, just because I do think it was a little bit of a risk, a little bit of a reach, but ultimately, I understood the pick, and so uh, I gave it I gave it a C+. Plus. I was B minus C plus. I gave it a C plus. Now, Noah Igbenogany, at the time, I thought that was an even bigger reach because I thought, you know, this is a guy that most people are projecting to go in the second round. And even though I agree that we needed to draft a cornerback uh, because of how much we're paying both Xavier and Howard and Byron Jones, and I think, and and one, we don't have very much depth behind them, and two, you're going to want to have a guy waiting in the wings that if he becomes a star, that you can trade Xavier Howard and get a lot of value and still have your starting cornerbacks. Um, so I, I, I thought that they needed a corner. I just thought, you know, they didn't need to reach on a corner because they, I, in my eyes, I thought they had more pressing needs. But they obviously, it's been discussed ad nauseum that Brian Flores, one, needs a lot of defensive backs, lug, likes to play six and seven defensive backs, didn't play very much seven defensive backs last year with the Dolphins because, frankly, we just didn't have the bodies in that secondary to begin with, let alone after it was ravaged by injuries. And two, Loves to play man press coverage. Well, as I dug into research, Noah Igbenogany, or Igbo, as they call, as his teammates called him at Auburn. Igbo is a lot easier to say than Igbenogany. That's true. And as I did my research on Igbo, I came away more impressed, more impressed, and I like the pick more and more because he's actually, 
He was probably the best press man corner. He's certainly the best press man corner that was available. And he's arguably the best man press corner in the entire draft. And they got him at round one pick 30. Um, Just to give you a stat that I came across in doing my research, per pro football focus, he played the second most man press reps in the country last season and gave up only three touchdowns. Quarterbacks completed 51% of passes targeted to his man, and on passes deeper than nine yards, they were just 14 of 37. Now, this is a guy that played his football in the SEC, in the SEC West. He played Alabama. He played LSU. I believe he played Georgia this year as well. Um, he, he went up against elite talent, and he shut them down. So, and he did it, and he did it while playing the second most man press reps in the country, and he's considered to be a guy that's just scratching the surface of his potential because he's only played the cornerback position for two seasons. In addition to that, he's also kind of a special teams dynamo. He had some ridiculous stats in on kick returns, so he's potentially... A, a return specialist as well. And now you have with Howard Jones and Igbo, you have three potentially elite man press corners, which is going to fit really nicely in Brian Flores's defense. So on day one, I, I when we first did the show, I, I had this as like a C minus or a D. And after doing the research, I actually bumped this all the way to a B plus and actually considered giving it an A, but I gave, I kept it a B plus because I do think that we potentially might have been able to get him, uh, with, uh, the number 39 pick in the second round. But still, I like the pick. So it was a very solid first day of the draft for your Miami Dolphins, as we talked about. Then we move on to day two. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were really interested to see maybe the Dolphins are going to get a flashy skill player here on day two. Maybe we're going to see the Dolphins wheeling and dealing a little bit on day two to move up and down uh, and, and pick up a few guys. But what we saw as day two played out is that largely Chris Greer stood pat. And he just took his picks as they came. And what the Dolphins did with was they just stayed exactly where they needed where they were. And with pick number 39, the Dolphins selected Robert Hunt, um, another offensive lineman from Louisiana Lafayette. Now, Hunt played primarily on the left side during uh, his college days, but I, the feeling that I get is this might be wh- the guy who moves over and spends some time on the right. Um, particularly, you know, he's probably going to get a little bit of that time over the course of this season. And then once we move into 21, when we start really moving into what will likely be the air, the era where Tua is your starting quarterback, he's going to be that key player on the right side protecting Tua, Tua Tonga Vailoa. Um, Moving on, 
with the 56 pick in the draft. And this is where the Dolphins were thinking, maybe this is it. J.K. Dobbins, we started to see some of those running backs come off the board. J.K. Dobbins was hanging around, hanging around, hanging around until the Baltimore Ravens took him at 55. At that point, we saw a lot of Miami Dolphin fans get very upset. But Chris Greer stood his ground, kept his cool, and picked Raekwon Davis, a defensive lineman, out of Alabama. Uh, this gives the Dolphins what we believe is the most Raekwons in the National Football League between Raekwon McMillan and Raekwon Davis. We've got another uh, man down in the trenches on the defensive line from the University of Alabama. I, I think we'll, we'll get into that pick, but again, Chris Greer at this point, not doing anything too flashy, just building the trenches, building the team, hitting up areas of need and doing it with this sort of smart, methodical way of doing things as opposed to making a big splash and, and, and being flashy and making sexy signings. He was just filling those positions of need and really bolstering the trenches. And that took us to pick number seven. Excuse me, pick number 70 in the third round. The Dolphins selected Brandon Jones, a safety from Texas. Again, to bolster the defensive backfield for the Miami Dolphins. And as we said, Greer stands pat, uses the picks where they were, and I think picks up three more very useful pieces. Uh, another successful day on day two of the NFL draft. Brain, you looked a little bit more deeply into these guys. So tell us about the picks that the Dolphins came across on day two of the NFL draft. So with when it came to Robert Hunt, um, he's a guy that played uh, mostly tackle in college, uh, and he may he may be a right tackle. Uh, in the NFL, but a lot of people actually expect him to kick inside at guard. And what I found interesting in looking at a few different uh, draft grades on Robert Hunt is that on NFL.com, uh, where uh, Zierlein was the uh, was the the head guy that that was grading all these scouts, um, he had him listed as a tackle and. And at tackle, he had Josh Jones listed as the fifth best tackle. Then there was Isaiah Wilson, uh, who had the same draft grade as Austin Jackson. And then also a third guy with the same draft grade as Austin Jackson was Robert Hunt. So he was considered by, at least by, uh, Zierlein to be the, the eighth best tackle in the draft. So at tackle, he seemed to be a value, a value. And then on Mel Kuyper's big board, Mel Kuyper had projected Robert Hunt to be a guard. And you know where he had him? The number one guard in the entire draft. We know that the Dolphins need help at guard. We know that they need help at tackle. They got a tackle in Austin Jackson. And I think what they got here with Robert Hunt is they got the best offensive linemen on their board and they got a guy that is versatile we've got uh he's a guy that can play tackle uh on either side and he could play guard at either side so he could play four of the five positions on the offensive line very similar to Jesse Davis who's currently on the Dolphins roster and played mostly right tackle uh 
prior to this past season and then moved over to the left side last year out of necessity. But now if you assume that Austin Jackson's going to go to the left side, uh, Robert Hunt and Jesse Davis will likely be uh, battling on the right side. Um, and then you've also got Eric Flowers, who you've brought in, who will likely be uh, at right guard. And then you've got Michael Dieter. And I think this is uh, a guy that, and that's a guy that we we drafted last season in the mid rounds. And so I think what they've done is they've they've brought in some good offensive linemen that are versatile, and they're going to play the best five guys. And, and I like that because I think, uh, ultimately that's, that's what they're trying to build. They're trying, if, if somebody goes down, they want interchangeable parts on that offensive line. So, um, most people thought that this was a good value. There were a few people that had it as a bit of a reach. Um, I thought it was a solid pick. There were some other guys there at some other positions that, I maybe would have liked a little bit more. This is another spot where I was thinking, well, if we're going to double up a tackle, maybe this is the spot where we take Josh Jones. But they clearly were not high on Josh Jones, and they were not alone in not being high on Josh Jones because Josh Jones fell all the way back a full round later than this pick in round three, pick eight. So they took, again, what appears to be the top offensive lineman on their board. And I have no problem with that because if if you would have told me that with three of the first four picks in this draft, the Miami Dolphins would have come out with a quarterback and two starting offensive linemen, I'm super happy. And then when you consider, and then they also got the best man press corner in the draft. I mean, sign me up. Um, I gave this, uh, this pick a B overall. I thought it was maybe a slight reach based on where he was projected to go, but I like the player and the pick makes sense. Uh, then, then the next pick, uh, was, was Raekwon Jones. Um, this, this, like you said, came at a point in the draft where a lot of people kept talking about the Dolphins need to get a running back. The Dolphins need to get a running back. And yes, we're, we're this is Raekwon Davis, not Raekwon Jones. Raekwon Davis. Sorry. Raekwon Davis. Um, yes, this is, this is true. The, the running back position is a weakness on this team. Absolutely. But I'd like to point a couple of things out. First and foremost, um, the running back position is not a valued position. Uh, at least at like having a stud running back. It is not a valued position in the NFL. It hasn't been a valued position by the New England Patriots, except when the rest of their team has been built. And then they've said, all right, you know what we could really use now? We could use a stud running back. So, I definitely, there was a, Chris Greer got criticized a ton for not moving up to go after one of these running backs, uh, particularly J.K. Dobbins, who went, I think, what, two picks before. Uh, my thought was, if, if, if J.K. Dobbins is there and we take him, I'll be fine with it. But honestly, I'd like to, 
I'd like to address other needs and worry about running back later. That was my, that was my feeling going into the draft. It was my feeling as the draft progressed. And I honestly breathed a sigh of relief when Dobbins went just a couple picks before us. So I didn't have a problem with us not trading up. And then when we were sitting at this pick, I thought there were several different places that we could go. I thought, again, this was a spot where I said, Hey, if we're going to move Hunt to guard, maybe we go after Josh Jones here. We get, we go three offensive linemen with our first, uh, with our first, uh, five picks with our next four picks after, after Tua. And we just fix this thing right off the get go. I would have been fine with that. Um, I was also looking at potentially, uh, an edge rusher. Um, and that didn't end up being the case. I think this was where, um, I was looking at potentially Epinesa, uh, and I was hoping that AJ Epinesa would fall to us. Uh, but he went, I think one pick before us or just a couple picks before us to Buffalo. And we stood pat and one position that we didn't talk a lot about, but I had had discussions about with some of my buddies was, you know, this Dolphins team could really use a nose tackle. If we, if we had a guy that could cover over the nose, um, it would really free up a lot, uh, of, of Christian Wilkins potential. It would make us a lot more versatile when we go to those odd man fronts because we've got, we've got a guy that can actually play the nose. Um, and I, I, and I think, you know, now he can split time, uh, on odd fronts at defensive tackle with Devon Gacha and they can keep each, they can give each other a rest. And when they go to even fronts, both of these guys can line up on the inside. Uh, Christian Wilkins can line up on the outside. They can, they can sub in and out with the three of them. Uh, they could even show a few five man fronts where the three of them are in there all at the same time or on their three, three, five bear front. They could play their three biggest defensive linemen. It just gives them so much versatility. And I think he's a perfect fit. He's a run stuffer. He's got the Alabama pedigree. And I thought this was just a rock solid pick. Again, not huge value, but this was a guy that was projected to go right around this range. And I thought fit a need and fit what they were trying to do. So I gave this one another B. Uh, the last pick of day two was probably their most controversial pick of the day. And that was, uh, that was, uh, Brandon Jones, the safety out of Texas. I had been talking for weeks about how the Dolphins need to get a safety in this draft. Um, and I was looking at guys like, uh, McKinley and, uh, you know, McKinney out of Alabama. And I was looking at Del Pitt from LSU. I loved Antoine Winfield of Minnesota. When Brian Flores was in New England, in his last season in New England, when New England won the title, they played three safeties for a total of over, well, each safety played at least 65% or more of the snaps. That tells you that Brian Flores loves to deploy three safeties. And when he's playing six defensive backs, seven defensive backs, he likes to play three safeties back there. And in, and not only does he like to play three safeties, but he has an idea of what he wants out of each position. He wants a deep center field type a single high guy. He wants a box safety 
who can come up and play, uh, can cover tight ends, can can support the run in the box, uh, and play when they're playing in the big nickel, serves as like, you know, an extra linebacker. Uh, and then he wants a guy that can do a little bit of everything, that can cover in the slot, uh, can, that can play in the two deep, can come up and support in the run. And that's what Brandon Jones is. Brandon Jones is a perfect fit for that third safety. The first safety, uh, the, the, the single high safety, that I think is a position that we're still going to eventually need an upgrade at. But I thought Bobby McCain did a serviceable job last year in moving from corner to safety. And the fact that we drafted Igbo, who's going to be our third corner, and we drafted Brandon Jones, who's now going to be that third safety, that basically cements Bobby McCain is your single high. He's your, he's your deep center field safety. And now between Eric Rowe, who's your big box safety, Bobby McCain, who's your single high deep center field guy, and Brandon Jones, who's your versatile, can play, you know, in the two deep, can cover in the slot and can help, uh, in there. I think he's a good fit. A lot of people said, you know, had him, um, ranked as a fourth round pick. Some even had him as low as a fifth round pick. And, they, they questioned his athleticism and my opinion, he dropped more because of the fact that he had an injury and didn't work out at the combine than the fact that, uh, he lacks athleticism. Now that said, he also played out of position a lot at Texas when he was put in a position to be a deep safety. He notably struggled. However, when he was covering in the slot at Texas, he did well. When he was playing in the box at Texas, he did well. And then to me, what kind of cinched it for me was the story about how even though this guy was hurt and wasn't going to work out at the draft because he tore his labrum, he reached out, he had his agent reach out to every single NFL team and had each team give him all of their game film from the year. And he broke down four games for each team and put together a binder of notes on every defense in the NFL. So that that tells you right away what you're getting here in Brandon Jones is a student of the game and a guy that absolutely loves football, loves game film, and loves to dedicate himself to the craft. And that is everything that Brian Flores has been trying to build here uh, for the last year plus. So in that regard, he's got all the intangibles. He's a great fit. Again, I think they reached a little bit. I think this is a guy that they could have had around later, but they had they knew they weren't going to be picking for quite some time after this because their next pick wasn't... Uh, it, it was 40 picks later. In fact... Um, that pick was a pick that they actually had to trade up to get. So they knew they weren't going to be picking for some time. They clearly liked this guy. And I, I think maybe they, maybe the play here would have been to trade down and get a little, get an extra pick or two and then get better value. But they said, look, this is a guy that fits a need that we want, a niche position, and we just love him. And they love his character and his, and his fit on the team. So they took him. And I think that's a theme that you, we had seen 
in the throughout the first two days, and it's a theme that continued on to the third day, is that the Dolphins targeted a guy that they liked that fit what they were trying to do, and they said, we don't care if he's projected to go a little bit later. This is the guy we want, and they took him. So I th- this was um, probably... Uh, the, the one that they reached the most on, and so a lot of people had this as a D, maybe a D plus, maybe a C minus. I actually gave it a C. So that was day two of the NFL draft, and that moved us into day three, which was when, you know, we really started to hear people being frustrated about Chris Greer. He's just he's he's just sitting there. He's not doing anything. He's not making any moves. He's not being in he's not being aggressive. Well, that narrative was changed immediately, right at the top of day three, the Miami Dolphins trading picks 136 and 141 in the fourth round, trading them to Houston in order to move up to the 111th spot in the draft, a pick that was originally theirs that went to Houston originally in the trade for Laramie Tunsil. So the Dolphins move up to 111 and draft a guard from another guard this one from georgia it was solomon kindley a lot of people were really excited about that one again as you said brain the dolphins had guys that they liked and they made the move to go and get him so the dolphins made that pick and then had a little bit of a break because their next pick wasn't until pick 153 and as they waited and waited you were hearing more people being frustrated why did chris greer wait until day three why are we going why aren't we filling more uh more of the sort of skill positions and you know, you, you, there was this sort of sense of frustration building among a lot of fans, especially as more and more sort of of the higher rated running backs and receivers were going off the board. And then as the Dolphins are on the clock at 153, we hear that the Dolphins have traded the pick to San Francisco. What we, and then we find out that what they got in return was Matt Breida, the uh, run, one of the, running backs in that 49ers powerful running back by committee group in 2019. So he comes to Miami to be the the other running back to sort of pair with Jordan Howard. I think that gives the Dolphins a, a very attractive uh, combo there at running back. And, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit more. Again, you sort of talked about your thoughts on the running back position. And and this was one of those things where when you had people complaining about the lack of the skill player, my, whole, my thought the whole time was, well, listen, we've got an unproven offensive line. Yeah, with all this talent that we've brought in, this offensive line is likely going to be better, but we don't know that it's going to be great yet. And so if you draft a top-tier running back to to go behind this unproven offensive line, you're basically burning a rookie deal year for that elite running back talent behind an offensive line that's not great. And remember, this Dolphins team is likely, we're, you know, there's a possibility that they could end up, you know, making a deep run this year. But I, I mean, I think the really sort of more realistic view of the team heading into the 2020 season is that this is going to be a pretty middle of the pack team as they take a step forward. They're not going to be in the bottom tier of the NFL anymore. They're going to be a kind of middle of the road team. I wouldn't really call them championship contenders. So you don't need to address all of the needs at once. Again, 
Back to Chris Greer being methodical here. So he makes the move. He gets Matt Breida. I think this is a great value trade for the Miami Dolphins because I think Matt Breida, essentially, this this pick 140, 153 was the pick that the Dolphins got um, for Kenyon Drake. So, so basically, the Dolphins traded Kenyon Drake for Matt Breida, basically straight up. And I think Matt Breida is absolutely going to be a contributor for the Miami Dolphins in 2020. So I think a nice little trade there for the Dolphins. Then they moved to pick 154 that they had right afterwards. They drafted um, a defensive lineman, Jason Strobridge, from North Carolina at 154. Then the final pick that the Dolphins had in the fifth round, trade uh, pick number 173, they uh, traded that pick and um, a seventh round pick to Philadelphia, which allowed them to move up to draft the edge rusher from Boise State, Curtis Weaver. And that concluded the fifth round for the Miami Dolphins. With their only sixth round pick in the draft, uh, pick 185, the Miami Dolphins drafted a long snapper, Blake Ferguson from LSU. So uh, one year removed from saying goodbye to John Denny, the Miami Dolphins draft uh, a new long new long snapper Blake Ferguson from LSU and then in the seventh round the Dolphins had two picks remaining in the seventh round they used the first to take um, a guy that was listed as a wide receiver Malcolm Perry he was uh, he played he played a little bit of wide receiver at Navy but he spent most of his time at Navy as a quarterback, he was a quarterback, he was a running back, he was a wide receiver. This is a guy that is a very versatile offensive skill player that the Dolphins are getting in the seventh round, who I think could end up being one of those guys that you like to have around, a guy that you can have do a lot of different things for you and and maybe, you know, mix in some sort of, uh, you know, trick plays there, kind of a, a Taysom Hill type figure for the Dolphins. I think a really interesting pick with what turned out to be their final pick of the draft because then their final pick in the seventh round, the Dolphins traded to the Seattle Seahawks for a sixth round pick in the 2021 draft. So Chris Chris Greer finally started wheeling and dealing a little bit on the final day of the draft. But again, I think they ended up picking up a lot of really, I think, useful pieces. I think a lot of times you look at a team's draft and you particularly look at those guys drafted in the late rounds and you think, I don't know that there's a lot of contributors here. As I look at what the Dolphins did on the, on the final day of the draft this year, I don't know. I'm left thinking that I think a lot of these guys may have staying power. And I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see most, if not all of these guys that the Dolphins drafted this year playing some kind of role in the 2020 Dolphins season. So, Brain, give us your grades for everybody on what the Dolphins did on this final day of the draft. So they started the day uh, trading up and, and getting Solomon Kidley. And I think the most impressive stat on Kinley was that going into uh coming out of the SEC last year uh the top he was the top rated guard by Pro Football Focus in pass protection in the SEC last season. Uh a lot of people were all over the map in in their grading of Solomon Kinley, but one thing that everybody seemed to be in agreement is uh with is that 
he's a phenomenal pass protector at the guard position. And after years and years and years of watching our guards let defensive ends and defensive tackles go right by them to the quarterback, I'm pretty happy with a fourth round guard that is considered the best pass protection protecting guard in a conference like the SEC. So I was pretty happy with this pick. They obviously liked the guy. You couldn't criticize Chris Greer for for standing pat here. They moved way up to get Solomon Kindley. So uh, I was really happy with this pick. In fact, I gave it a B plus. Now the next pick was Jason Strobridge. This gave the Dolphins uh, finally uh, on the opposite side of Christian Wilkins uh, a a run stuffing edge and a versatile player. And I think uh, when you look at uh, both Wilkins and Raekwon Davis, what you have are versatile defensive tackles that can kind of play anywhere on the interior. And Jason Strobridge is a defensive end that is primarily at his strength, uh, either right on, right on top of the guard or just inside of the guard, but he is a run stuffing defensive end and it goes to the scheme. The the Miami Dolphins, when Brian, Brian Flores' defense, particularly when they're doing the odd man fronts, but even in a four-man front, they are asking their defensive ends not to be pass rushers. They're asking their defensive ends to set the edge to two-gap, to stunt their, uh, their blocker, and set the edge... And then diagnose the play, shed the block, and make the tackle. And that is what Jason Strobridge is. He is a run-stuffing defensive end. Uh, he was projected to go, you know, again, right around this area. Just a rock-solid p- pick. He's not going to blow you away with production because, again, he's not a pass rusher. But again, in this scheme, this scheme is not built to have speed rushers coming off the edge. This is not the Kevin Coyle wide nine scheme where you want your defensive ends to be like Cameron Wake or Jason Taylor where you need that Hall of Fame speed rusher. You want this guy to set the edge, occupy blockers, and the scheme will open up pass rushing lanes through blitzes, through games like stunts and twists. This is just another example in round five of getting a guy that is a perfect fit for the scheme that we're running. And so because of that, again, not like overwhelming value, nothing that's going to jump off the page, but this is again, just a rock solid pick. I had this one at a B. Now, then... Then opportunity knocked and the Dolphins said, all right, we've gotten, we've kind of addressed our biggest, most pressing needs on the defensive line. Now let's kind of swing for the fences. And Curtis Weaver might be, after trading up to get him, might be the best value pick in the entire draft. Because this guy was an absolute monster at Boise State. In fact, the last two seasons at Boise State, uh, he had 62 combined pressures. And his pro football focus grade the last two years were a 91 and a 91.3, respectively, both elite 
rankings, elite status on pro football focus. This is a guy that set the conference record in the Mountain West for career sacks while coming out a year early. I mean, this guy was an absolute animal as far as production. Now, as far as uh, how he projects at the next level, there are questions. Um, He is not the most athletic guy. He is a guy that uh, was seen as kind of deceptively quick, but he seemed to get his his production mostly on smarts and not as much on athleticism. He's got a little bit of wiggle to him, but he's not a really explosive pass rusher. And maybe he went up against lesser talent, but at the same time, you cannot argue with that production. And it's not like he played at a Division II school. He played in the Mountain West, which yes, it's the group of five. It's not a power five, but there's plenty of quality talent there, and he overwhelmed them, not just for one season, but the last two seasons. He was an absolute animal. So to get this guy at pick number 164, who Pro Football Focus actually had ranked ranked as their number 26 prospect on their big board, this may be the steal of the draft. So I gave this one an A. Um, and then... Eh, then, then, then came the biggest head scratcher of the day when the Dolphins decided to take a long snapper and became the first team ever to draft a long snapper. And, um, this pick got killed and understandably so because, you know, look, it's a long snapper. You can get a decent long snapper off the scrap heap. Uh, you can, you can, you probably could sign one as an undrafted free agent, you know, but I'll say this. Look, obviously, if they felt the need to draft a long snapper in the sixth round of this draft, or at all, then they're clearly not happy with uh, with Tabor Pepper, uh, who is their current uh, long snapper until he got cut today after we made this pick. So one, they're clearly not happy with the play that they're getting at the position. And two, look, if they believe that this guy is potentially going to be the best long snapper in the league and you're never going to have to overpay for a long snapper and this guy's going to be holding down the position for 15 to 20 years like John Denny did for all those years, then we're talking the sixth round of the draft. We're talking pick 185. We're towards the end of the sixth round. Anybody that's going to be a contributor, to me, I'm fine with I would prefer they have gone a different direction and gone with somebody that, you know, potentially had some upside at a position that would be, you know, of greater value, which is almost any other position on the field. But I understand the pick. This got the lowest grade of the, of the draft for me. I gave it a D. Some people wanted to give it an F. Uh, originally when they made the move, I think I was being a little bit of a, too much of a homer and I actually was kind of justifying the pick maybe a little bit too much. Uh, I found a happy medium and I, and I decided to give him a D. And then finally the Malcolm Perry pick, uh, they took a guy who was, uh, essentially a triple option quarterback 
who can kind of do everything. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. He can throw the ball a little bit. Uh, he projected to be a wide receiver. I've been saying um, if we take a wide receiver, it made a lot of sense to get a guy that you can kind of put in the slot uh, because you're entering the last year of Albert Wilson. You feel pretty happy with the two big guys that you have on the perimeter in both uh, Preston Williams and Devontae Parker. So, and you need it, you, you, you haven't really, I mean, yes, you got Matt Breida, which is the one thing that I haven't talked about. I'll talk about that in just a second, but now you're adding that gadget player in here that this is the ultimate upside pick because there's nobody like him. And if it works out, it's an ultimate weapon. Uh, it's just a really cool weapon to have. And this is the time to take that kind of player in round seven. Again, my, you know, my preference in this spot would probably be to go at a guy that, you know, has the potential of being, of having upside at a position that he'll play regularly, but I have no problem going upside with a gadget kind of player in round seven. I gave this one a C plus grade. Now, as for the Matt Breida trade, um, I thought this was great value. I'd much rather use a fifth round pick on a guy that we know can contribute in the NFL than a second round pick on a running back that you're hoping will be a star. And then when he is, you know, if he is a star, you're going to have to pay him after three or four years. It's clear Brian Flores wants to do what they did the the vast majority of its time in New England, and that is go running back by committee. And so Matt Breida is the perfect complement to a Jordan Howard who's more of a between-the-tackles plotter. You've got Kalen Balaj, who's also kind of, uh, not kind of, a, a between-the-tackles plotter who might not make the team. Um, and then you just added Matt Breida, who now can catch the ball out of the backfield is a definite change of pace guy, a guy that can take the, uh, take it to the distance if, if in space. Uh, the only caveat I have about this one is that he's in the last year of his deal. And so it, this move only makes sense to me if we're extending him and extending him at a good value. Uh, this is the kind of move where I would like for, to see them extending Matt Breida before the season even starts because uh, if this is a guy that they're going to let hit free agency and then they're going to let him walk, then I don't really see the value in in trade in using a fifth round pick on a one year rental of a guy. Now maybe maybe he's used in a way where the fifth round pick becomes a conditional, you know, becomes a fourth round compensatory pick the following year, or maybe they, they're able to shop him somewhere, you know, along the trade deadline to another team and they're able to get more than a fifth round pick for him. Ultimately that remains to be seen. But to me, unless they do that or they extend him, then this is a wasted pick. So this one, that one could kind of go either way. Um, but I would like to think that if they're trading a fifth round pick for Matt Breida, that the idea is that they're going to have him here for more than one year. Um, so overall, overall, uh, just to go through my grades, I gave Tua an A plus. Uh, Jackson a C plus, Igbo a B plus, Hunt a B, Davis a B, Jones a C, Kindley a B plus, Strobridge a B, Weaver an A, Ferguson a D, and Perry a C plus. If you go the numerical route on that 
and you just add them up, you know, A, A's are four, A pluses are 4.5, B pluses are 3.5, B's are three, and so on and so forth, then what it averages out to me is a 2.95, which is essentially a B, a, just a solid B. But my overall feeling on it is that when you look at this draft, everything in this draft needs to be viewed under the spectrum that we got our uh, we got our franchise quarterback in Tua. If Tua is as good as we think he is going to be, and we even hit on half of the other 10 players that we drafted, then this is going to be a really good slash great draft. As far as the rest of the draft as a whole, the biggest criticism I have of it is that they did not, this was not a value-based draft and this was not a best player available draft. The Dolphins had a lot of needs. So, I'll, I'll, you know, in my personal preference, my idea is go best player available and you figure everything else out along, you know, along the way. Uh, they did not do that. They took a needs based approach. They, they assessed all of their needs. They prioritized them in their order of importance and they went, down the list, methodically, they said, we need to get uh, a cornerback to that can play man press coverage. We need to have that guy to be waiting in the wings in case we trade Xavier and Howard. Uh, and also long-term to kind of start a conveyor belt on that position because we want two corners that can play man press coverage at an elite level. So they went out and they got, well, actually before that, they they took two of the quarterback. Then they said, we need an offensive tackle. They took Austin Jackson, top tackle on their board. Then they took Igbo at corner. Then they said, well, hey, now we need an interior offensive lineman. Boom. They took Hunt. They said, we need that third safety. Boom. They took Jones. They said, we could still use another offensive lineman. Kindley. They said, all right, now we need to move on to the defensive line. So they went Raquan Davis. They went Strawbridge. Then, then after that, like it got down to round six and seven. I don't know that long snapper was a, was a big need and then gadget player, but at least through the first five rounds of the draft, it's very clear what their thinking was. And that was, we've got these needs. We're going to prioritize them in order and we're going to take the the top guy on our board that fits what we like to do, we're going to take that guy and then, uh, and, and, and then so be it. Uh, and so while, uh, somebody that is looking at the value of each pick will say, you know, the Dolphins reached on a lot of picks and they're probably right. Um, I take solace in the fact that for the first time in a long time, there was a distinct, clear vision and a plan that they stuck to from start to finish. And that has me excited about the future. So overall, while it averaged out to a B for me, I bumped it up. I think overall I had the draft at a B plus. I think, I think that's really the great way to put it, that you just said it right there. This draft showed the Miami Dolphins really for the first time having a clear Vision. And I think if you take a look at 2019, you know, the offseason after the 2018 season, 
look at how the 2019 season played out and looked at look at how they sort of purged all the big sort of bloated contracts. They got rid of all of that stuff and they freed up all this money. They picked up all these draft picks and then you saw how things sort of played out over the course of this draft. I, I you really sort of see a trajectory for how this team becomes a contender. We're obviously still early in that process, but you know, really, for the first time, it, it we always ask on this show, is this the same old Dolphins? And th- as I as I tweeted out, this year's draft was decidedly not same old Dolphins. This this seems like a team with a vision and a way forward and. My my wife and I joke all the time because she is a Seahawks fan. So more pretty much for the entirety of our relationship, the Seahawks have been a significantly better team than the Miami Dolphins. And we're now at a place where she asked me, she asked me after that first night of the draft, she said, is this, is this the beginning of the Miami Dolphins glory years? And I said, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to say yes to that. But you can see a path towards that. So it's, I think, an exciting time to be a Miami Dolphin fan coming out of this 2020 draft. Following the draft, as always happens, the Dolphins made a few um, signings of undrafted free agents. I'll sort of list those quickly here for you. They signed Benito Jones, a defensive tackle from Ole Miss. Donnell Stanley, another guard from South Carolina. Uh, Tyshawn Redner, a defensive end from Middle Tennessee State. Uh, Nick Kaltmeyer, an offensive tackle from Kansas State. Ray Lima, a defensive lineman from Iowa State. Bryce Sterk, uh, an edge rusher from Montana State, who was actually signed to the Dolphins as a tight end. So that's an interesting thing there. Um, they, uh, how about another undrafted wide receiver who might be able to do some big things for the Dolphins? Kirk Merritt, a wide receiver from Arkansas State. Matt Cole from McKendree University, another receiver. Uh, and Kylan Johnson, a linebacker from Pittsburgh, completing the list of undrafted free agents signed by your Miami Dolphins. Brain, you ready for some questions? Yeah, let, let me have them. Fire them at me. Great. So we've got some more questions to sort of help us wrap up our conversation about the draft here. Oh, actually, before we go into the questions, I should talk about all the guys the Dolphins cut today. The Dolphins today waving linebacker Terrell Hanks, safety Montre Hardage, uh, as Aaron mentioned, long snapper Tabor Pepper, and they also waved running back uh, Samaje Perrine today in light of the transaction of, of the draft, how the draft went, and obviously the trade for Matt Breida uh, really helping, I, uh, you know, not a lot, not a role for Samaje Perrine to play on the team. So the Dolphins made those moves um, to sort of hone their roster as they get ready for training camp and whatever that whatever training camp is going to look like this summer. All right, into the questions. We asked everybody for some questions. We got some really good ones tonight, so we're going to dive in. Brain, the first question comes from uh, at three kids are uh, almost a blessing. It's at three kids are a B-L-E-S-S-I. <laughs> and they That's said- a phenomenal username. Yeah, it's a great, great, great username, great handle. Um, their question was, want to know Aaron's opinion on Greer? Has it changed? I still feel his neck should be on the line here. Um, well, he's look, he's not safe. 
<laughs> he, he's absolutely on the line because one thing about these drafts is that uh, you don't know for sure, for certain if they are good or not until at least a year and usually three years. But I well, mean, let's just say this. I mean, the bottom line is if Tua is a bust, Chris Greer is out of here. Yes, but you're not going to know if Tua is, you're likely not going to know if Tua is a bust after year one. There's a good chance that he won't play at all in year one. Uh, I've, I've kind of softened my stance on whether or not we're going to just totally all out redshirt the guy, but I think he's definitely going to need to earn his way uh, into the starting lineup, uh, because the, the locker room is completely, uh, Fitzpatrick's. And I think there's absolutely no rush to get, uh, Tua in there, especially coming off of injury. But more so than Tua, uh, it just comes down to how good these players are. I think you're also, you have to evaluate last year's draft. Right now, last year's draft does not look very good. Um, you know, uh, Andrew Van Ginkle did very little. Uh, Michael Dieter did very little or, you know, was, was pretty bad. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think. I mean, Miles Gaskin didn't get much, didn't get much run on the team, uh, last year. In fact, their biggest contributors from last year, um, you know, aside from, uh, <laughs> who was last year's uh number one pick just off the top of my head oh Wilkins aside from Wilkins um their biggest contributors as far as rookies were probably undrafted guys uh Preston Williams Nick Needham guys guys like that so uh absolutely last year's draft is not looking very good um but if last year's draft all of a sudden looks a little bit better you know a year in and this draft, he ends up hitting on a lot of guys, then uh, I think he will be safe for at least a couple of years. What I'll say about Chris Greer is that he masterfully, uh, he he masterfully worked the the pre draft process uh, as far as with the, when it came to the number one pick, being able knowing that Tua was their guy, you know, all this time uh, over Herbert. And the fact that we got down to the last second of our of waiting for the pick to be in, and we were still sitting on pins and needles because nobody legitimately knew if we liked Tua or Herbert more. Uh, people were saying we were going to trade up for Herbert. Most people said if we're going to get Tua, we're going to need to trade up to get him. The fact that he stayed at five and got Tua, he worked that phenomenally well, and he deserves a ton of praise, which I've heaped on him uh, profusely over the past week, over this entire weekend. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit for that. As far as the rest of this draft, um, look, I think it remains to be seen. I don't think that uh, you should necessarily give him the benefit of the doubt. What I'll say is there was a cohesive thought process here. Now, if these players prove to be reaches, if they prove to be not as good as where they drafted them, and it, and you look back at it and you say, well, you know, that guy, we, you know, we could have gotten this player at this spot, but we, but we drafted based on need and instead of, instead of best player available. And then we're looking at it at the end of next season or maybe the following year. And we're saying, you know, his drafts really weren't that good. Even if Tua is great, then, uh, that's bad news for Chris Greer. But what I'll say is, is that 
I'm willing to ease off of Chris Greer a little bit because of how he handled the number one pick. And I'm taking a wait and see approach as far as how his strategy on the draft worked. At Turo23 says, what new additions do you think are day one starters for the Miami Dolphins? Okay, so the offensive linemen, uh, Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, and then Solomon Kindley. Um, I believe that Austin Jackson will likely get, I, I think he's the most true tackle uh, that they drafted a lot, certainly more so than Hunt. Um, and so because of that and because of the position of need, I think he steps in and he's a, he's a day one starter. Um, I don't think that Tua is a day one starter because of Ryan Fitzpatrick being there. So barring injury, I mean, look, if Fitzpatrick gets hurt and Tua is healthy, then there is certainly the potential there for that being the case. But, um, I would say Austin Jackson, uh, is a day one starter. Um, Noah Igbenogany, I think he becomes our third corner right out of the, right out of the gate, but that's not technically a starting spot. Now, if we have an injury at corner, I could definitely see Igbenogany becoming the second corner and starting day one. I think there's potential there. Now, uh, between Hunt and Kindley, I believe Hunt will also be a day one starter. And then I think Kindley, We'll be battling with Michael Dieter and Jesse Davis. I think that Robert Hunt, Solomon Kinley, Jesse Davis, and Michael Dieter are four offensive linemen competing for two spots, a guard spot and a tackle spot, uh, the right tackle spot and the left guard spot, essentially. It looks like you've got three spots that are that are pretty much assured. The fact that we didn't draft a center in this draft and we used a one-year deal in free agency to bring in Karras from, from New England, I feel pretty confident that uh, we're going to have... Um, well, you know what? Let's, we signed Jesse Davis last year. So let's not just assume that, that Austin Jack, let's say that it's five offensive linemen competing for three spots. We know that Karras is going to start at center and Flowers is going to start at another guard spot. And then you got those five offensive linemen. And you also have Shaq Calhoun, actually, also, who is probably our top guard last year. You have those six offensive linemen competing for three spots. I would guess that Hunt and Jackson end up being day one starters, but I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not super confident on that. My confidence level from the three goes basically in the order that they were drafted. Uh, Jackson, Hunt, and then Kindley. Uh, we, uh, Ferguson should be a, a day one starter. We're not going to have another long snapper. So there's another one. Um, Raquan Davis, I think, is a is a rotational guy. Brandon Jones, like I said, will probably be the number three safety. Strobridge will be an, uh, a rotational guy. Weaver will be a rotational guy as well. And Perry, a gadget guy who, look, let's face it, he might not or not even make the team. He's a seventh round pick. But I, I like to think that taking them, they have a plan for him. So uh, to make a long answer short, I think uh, in... You know, Ferguson for sure. And then after Ferguson, I would say uh, the three offensive linemen, I think two of them uh, will probably end up being day one starters. Dolphins Melody says, I like the first two nights of the draft, but not day three. Did you? And if you did, what did you like about it? We sort of talked about that a little bit, but 
but uh, address it directly to her question. Well, if you like day two and didn't like day three, I don't really understand it, to be perfectly honest. Um, I thought day three was, as a whole, their best day. Um, I, well, hard to, hard to argue with day one, considering that they got Tua and I, and I kind of like the other two picks. But I mean, the only pick in day three that I had any issue with was the long snapper. Um, I thought they did look, they got a, they got an interior offensive lineman. I said, all, you know, I was saying all offseason they needed to get three offensive linemen in this draft. Uh, he was the third. They came right out on day three and they got it done and they got a guy that I think is going to be a really good fit. He might not start right out of the gate because he, he's got work to, there's a reason why he's a fourth round pick, but he has the upside to be a really good guard for a long time. I like that pick. And then you had Strobridge and Weaver, which those, those picks, I think you had, you took your solid defensive end, uh, edge guy, your run stuffing edge guy. And then they took a swing for the fences and could not have higher upside than when you look at Weaver's potential. Uh, and then the sixth and seventh round picks, whatever. Uh, but I, I actually thought they killed it on day three. And then the Brita, the, the Brita trade again. Yeah. Like if, if, if Brita is here for two or three years, filling the role as, you know, the scat back change of pace can catch the ball out of the backfield and be a home run hitter for you. You get that with a fifth round pick. That's an amazing deal. This is a guy that's averaged five yards a carry the last two seasons and catches the ball out of the backfield and is a big play waiting to happen. He's got some injury concerns for sure, but he's a big play waiting to happen when used in the right uh, way. Dolphins Talk Tom, Tom Ernesty from this very website says uh, he's a longtime listener, first time caller. He's wondering your thoughts. Oh, long time, first time. Yeah, that's right. He's wondering what your thoughts are on the mind games by the front office leading up to the draft. We sort of covered that already. It was brilliant. I mean, you really saw, I mean, that is, it was pretty masterful by Chris Greer, not just to sort of keep the fans guessing and to keep other front offices guessing, but he had the, he had the media guessing. Nobody knew what they were going to do and what their plan was. I thought it was pretty brilliant um, from from Chris Greer, and, and you mentioned that as well. Uh, and then his other question is, when will I be back on your show? Tom, you are welcome on the program anytime. Anytime, Tom. You just let me know, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get it set up. We'll make it happen. Uh, two more questions here. Uncle Al, Al Poppy 25 says, will Eric Flowers turn it around this season? Well, I think that if we're playing him at guard, I think he'll be solid. I don't think he's ever going to be the player that he was drafted to be when he came out of the U. Uh, but it's clear that he was a below average tackle. And then when they moved him to guard last season, he played pretty well. I think pro football focus had him as an average to slightly above average guard, which look, an average to slightly above average guard at you know, on this team with this roster will be a welcome addition. I think we're overpaying him for sure, um, which is what you do in, in free agency. But I guess with the amount of cap space that we had this year, as well as that we'll have next year, and the fact that only his first two years of the three-year deal are 
are guaranteed. It buys us some time and fills a slot uh, and fills a spot. It's a nice band-aid on the guard position for now. I don't think I think if you're expecting him to play guard at a at a Pro Bowl level, and especially if you're expecting him to play tackle at a Pro Bowl level, then you have unfair expectations. If you're expecting him to live up to the contract that he signs, I think you have unrealistic expectations. Although they're probably fair, it should be a fair expectation to expect a guy or to want a guy to live up to his contract. But that said, I think you're going to get a, a, an average to slightly above average guard in Eric Flowers. And then our final question comes from at Big Def Energy. If you can change exactly one Finn's pick in the draft to draft someone else, which pick and who do you grab instead? Ooh, this is a great one. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have traded up from 18. I would have, I would have looked to trade up from 18. You knew San Francisco was shopping that pick. I would have tried to do what I could have done to get up to 13 to get Tristan Wirfs because I think the tackle position is so important and was such a pressing need that it would have been worth it to get a sure thing there. And Wirfs is a guy that had a bunch of upside as well. Uh, so if I could change one thing, that was the one thing that I, that I could think of. Uh, maybe, you know, if I could pick a second thing, I guess if you didn't trade up in the first round, then I would have been looking late second round at potentially trading up uh, to get a guy like AJ Epinesa, who I think would have been a perfect scheme fit with a little bit more upside than than Strobridge. But uh, th- those are those are nitpicky things that would have required them them moving up. Um, there wasn't like there wasn't a pick that they made. Where I said, you know, I would have liked to take this player at this position. Oftentimes, uh, they took the position that I was actually targeting, but they just went with a different player on their board. And that's fine. I, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Igbo pick on day one. Um, and I would have rather them, uh, you know, gone after another offensive lineman with that pick. Um, but then after reading up and doing my research on Igbo, I actually really like the pick. So yeah, I mean, not a whole lot that I would change. I would say I would have been a little bit more aggressive trading up from 18, uh, to try to, uh, address offensive tackle. So there it is. That's the 2020 draft for your Miami Dolphins. It sets the team up for a, a, a continuing off season and as we as we mentioned that upward trajectory i think the dolphins find themselves in a really good place now the question is what next uh, you know if this was a regular off season if if the world was operating as it as it had been uh, you know we'd really be looking forward to um you know we'd be looking forward to camps and and getting things ready in the rest of the preseason routine but now you know as i we sort of talked about on the last show the NFL has been operating as though you know pretty much operating as normal for this thus far through the off season everything has been going as planned yeah it's looked a little bit different but largely it has happened the way that you would expect it to happen and now we get to that place with the draft behind us where now the NFL enters this period where it's going to be treading water a little bit and and 
figuring out contingency plans and and trying and hoping against hope that they'll be able to get the season up and running um in in some way shape or form and uh, all we can do is you know I'm I'm of the mindset of I gosh I hope there is some way that this can happen obviously everybody's first and foremost concern is making sure that people are healthy and people are safe and that we are you know finding our way moving towards getting rid of this virus that is causing everybody to be penned up in their own houses but but hopefully at some point we'll get to a place where we can safely at least have you know some form of live sports i think it's something that all of us would really enjoy but again only if we can do so in a way that everybody is safe and nobody is being jeopardized and if that can happen well then We've got a lot to look forward to as Miami Dolphin fans. And, and I was actually having conversation with somebody the other day and, and brain, you may be able to appreciate this. You know, uh, it was a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan who was just over the moon, super excited to have Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, you know, coming out of retirement and they're coming down to Tampa and Tampa's going to be this big team and they got a shot to win the Super Bowl this year. And I said, wouldn't it be something if, you know, somehow the 2020 NFL season doesn't happen and Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski never play a down of football for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wouldn't that be something? That would and, be that would be something, but that would be something that would happen if the Dolphins signed those guys. Exactly. It's definitely something that would happen. <laughs> the Dolphins, if the Dolphins get Dolphins. Super Bowl aspirations. Everybody loves it. And the seasons can I don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, I, it actually just came out yesterday that the NBA is on May 1st. They're actually, uh, allowing teams to open up their facilities and start having practice as they attempt to get a postseason in. Um, I think the NFL is going to happen. I think. Uh, look, obviously we all want everything to be as safe as possible. Uh, the NFL season doesn't, the preseason doesn't start until August. Training camp doesn't start until, uh, you know, late July. Mini camps aren't scheduled to happen until mid June. I think there's a lot of time, a lot of things that can be figured out in that time. And I think football is going to happen. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. I, I certainly hope that you are correct. I hope that we are able to get to a place where it's safe enough to do that. And I mean, in an ideal world, it'd be amazing if we could get to a place where people are actually able to be in the stadium to watch football live. Because, uh, you know, obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you love football just like, uh, just like we do. So let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. But in the meantime, continue to do your part. Stay safe. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And we'll be able to have some football for you. Hopefully pretty soon. In the meantime, can I say one more, th- one more thing that I didn't touch on at the very top of the show when you were talking about just the, the, how new this draft experience was with it being a virtual draft? Well, quickly, let's, let's get through it because we we're, uh, we're well, running yeah, long. I, mean, I just feel like this is the, be- that's the most enjoyable draft that I've ever had to watch. Certainly two had something to do with it, but I actually thought watching that that's how it should be done every year and i love the fact that roger goodell has to be the guy making the picks every single pick every single round and and that you're watching him sitting in his living room visibly getting like exhausted at the whole process and putting his feet up and just trying to get comfy and looking more and more disheveled through the night i actually thought that this was super enjoyable yes it was certainly a a fun experience watching this draft i mean 
That's for sure. I mean, there were a lot of reasons for that. Part of it was the fact that it was actual, like, new sports-adjacent content. So, like, that was really exciting. It was, it was you're watching live as something related to sports. Like, something related to real sports was happening. It wasn't a horse tournament. It wasn't esports. It was something consequential uh, regarding your favorite team happening in front of you. And and that aspect of the draft, I think, was really great. I think I thought it was really cool to see everybody in their houses. Um, you know, the head coaches, the GMs get a, get a look at how everybody's living. I thought that was really interesting. Um, it was really great seeing these kids, these uh, you know, college students reacting in their homes with their families. I thought that was really cool too. It was just a really neat experience, really unique experience. And and I think I would agree with you that I liked it better than the typical draft. You know, the NFL has a way of doing things that is just so it's so pristine, it's so clean, it's so polished, it's so produced. It was nice to see a production with a little bit of rough edge on it. And I kind of like that aspect of the draft here. So as we, uh, as so the whole point of this whole conversation about, well, who knows what's going to happen is who knows what's going to happen as far as our recording schedule from here on out. Um, I will be sort of keeping an eye on the news and as news breaks and as there are big stories, we'll, we'll hop on with shows to sort of talk about it. And then as we get a little bit closer, to uh, the start of the season, hopefully, whenever that is, we'll start doing shows a bit more regularly for you. Typically, that uh, off-season program as we get into training camp and preseason is uh, one show a week, and then as we get into the regular season, we get into our two-show a week uh schedule. Um, but in the meantime, what we'll encourage everybody to do is just make sure you're visiting DolphinsTalk.com every single day. There's always lots of new podcasts and articles and columns coming up there on the website. So if you're visiting Dolphins DolphinsTalk.com every day, it'll be your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins, and, and you'll have all your bases covered. And uh, if we end up doing another show... It'll pop up there as well. And of course, the best way to make sure you're getting every episode of the same old dolphin show is to subscribe via Apple podcast and follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud and anywhere else that you find your podcast. If there is somewhere where you'd like to get podcasts where we are not located yet, shoot us a text or not a text message. Don't, don't do that. Send us a, a tweet, tweet at me at Amplified to Rock or the brain at Aaron, the brain or the show at Sam Dolphin. Send us a tweet, shoot us a DM, let us know where you would like us to be. And we will do our best to get onto that platform. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other. And we will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye everybody. Go Dolphins! Miami's got Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking to my ball. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yeah!